Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. Uh, you saw during that last song a whole bunch of kids and some adults get up and leave. If you're a, a guest of ours this morning and you've got a child between two years old and second grade, there are some classes prepared in that part of the audit, or that part of the building. Uh, feel free to join our kids uh, in that. There's also a nursery right up here by the front doors that you can take advantage of if you need to. We want you to feel right at home. And if you are a guest of ours or you haven't been here a whole lot, you say, well, I don't feel right at home, just stay with us, okay? You will. Glad you're here. I know that you all are familiar with the how many people does it take to change a light bulb kind of stories, but I want to share with you just a couple of my favorites. Um, for instance, here's, here's one for, uh, this is for you, Laura. How many real estate agents? Does it take to change a light bulb? Ten, but they'll accept eight. <laughs> How many chiropractors does it take to change a light bulb? Just one, but it's going to take 11 visits. <laughs> How many bluegrass musicians does it take to change a light bulb? Four. One to change the bulb, three to complain that it's electric. There's one for Wilton. How many surgeons does it take to change a light bulb? None. You don't need it out today, but it, if it continues to give you trouble, you might want to think about removing it in the future. And then finally, how many Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans does it take to change a light bulb? None. We just talk about doing it next year. This morning we're talking about light, and we're actually talking about something a little more powerful than light bulbs, okay? We're wrapping up our sermon series, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? And we have spent the last several weeks looking at the I Am statements that are found in the book of John, where Jesus is describing himself for us. And we're looking at a statement uh, this morning that you see on the screen there, I Am the Light of the World that's a little bit unique among the statements that Jesus makes about himself for, for a couple reasons. And one is, it is a statement, it's a truth, that sort of resonates with the Gospel writer John. In fact, this idea becomes sort of a theme in the book of John. A little bit of context here. We're going to begin in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, we find Jesus... Um, teaching in the temple courts. There's a crowd of people around him. It's a story that you're very familiar with. A woman who has actually been caught in the very act of adultery is brought before Jesus. And the people bringing this woman present her to Jesus and say, the law says she needs to be stoned. What do you say? And of course, if you read... Uh, um, Deuteronomy uh, 22, you'll see that they've got their facts of the law a little bit skewed here, but it's not really about the woman anyway. It's all about tricking and trapping Jesus. They're trying to put Jesus in kind of a no-win situation, and we know that Jesus bends down and starts writing something in the dirt. And then when he finally addresses them, he says, whoever of you has never sinned, you go ahead and, and throw the first stone. And that surprised them. 
They hadn't prepared an argument for that contingency. And so one by one, we're told, beginning with the oldest, they slip away, leaving Jesus and the woman there. The crowd is still there. And Jesus finally speaks to this woman. He says, are there there none left? Has no one condemned you? And all she ever says is, no one. And then Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Which brings us to verse 12 of John chapter 8. Verse 12 says, when Jesus spoke again to the people. Now some scholars believe that the timeline hasn't changed here. That Jesus is still in the temple courts. He has just dealt with this adulterous woman. And he goes right into this next, uh, 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 these next statements. Some scholars believe, no, this is a whole different setting. I don't know that it's really important where Jesus says this, but what he says is really important. It is a powerful, powerful verse. In verse 12, Jesus is going to tell us again who he is. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Now last week we talked about Jesus being the good shepherd. And I mentioned that that's an analogy that we can't really understand the the nuances of the relationship between a shepherd and sheep because that's not our culture. Well, we get this one, right? I mean, we understand light and darkness. And I mentioned that this is a, a kind of a unique statement that Jesus makes for a couple reasons. One, he's going to say it a couple times. But also, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But if you remember, when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are the light of the world. And he's never done that before with one of these I am statements. He never says, you are the gate. He never says, you are the good shepherd. But he does say, you are the light of the world. And then he also uses this same statement, this same description of himself more than once. Turn your probably one page over in your Bible to John chapter 9. Jesus and his disciples notice a man who's been born blind. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? I mean, it's got to be somebody's fault, right? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. But you already knew that, didn't you? You knew that before you came in here this morning. Now, as I was outlining this sermon series, I kind of went back and forth on where I was going to put this lesson. And you might have noticed they're not in any kind of order, really, but I knew I wanted to put this lesson either at the beginning or at the end of this series. Now, obviously, I put it at the end. But one of the challenges for people like me, teachers or preachers, is how do you take a phrase, how do you take a passage that is so well known and impress upon us once again just how important it is and how powerful it is, how life-changing the reality is that Jesus is the light of the world. Because you've heard this sermon before, right? You've heard this sermon. Things grow in the light. Things are illuminated in the light. 
Light brings safety and light brings security. Light brings health. Light overcomes darkness. Darkness can never overcome the light. In fact, the darker the surroundings, the brighter the light will be. You've heard that sermon, haven't you? I know you have because I've preached that sermon. It's a good sermon, by the way. It's a great sermon because it's all true. But this morning, I want to go in a little bit different direction. Because, as I said, this idea of Jesus being the light of the world, it struck a chord with the Apostle John. Today, I want to take a look at Jesus as the light of the world, sort of through the lens of the Apostle John and the Gospel that he wrote. John's Gospel is by far the most unique of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those first four books of the New Testament, we call them the Gospels. It's the story of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus being on the earth. And all four of those writers tell that story. John tells his version of the Jesus story quite differently. In fact, 90% of what is found in the book of John isn't found in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. He tells it in a different way with a little bit of a different focus. Uh, the Gospel of John, John will list seven miracles. He calls them signs of Jesus. You should know by now that there are also seven I am statements. And they're all found in the book of John. Interestingly, John doesn't tell a single parable of Jesus. Jesus, this master teacher who told these great stories that taught on so many levels and so many layers, John doesn't share any of those with us. He doesn't begin with the genealogy. He doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus. He's much more theological than historical. By that I mean he doesn't tell quite as many facts about Jesus. He's not like Mark, who, you know, point by point. Instead, he talks about the relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. He talks about a faith being built. He does, however, write a great deal about light and life and love. And he does give us a very specific reason for writing his gospel. Towards the end of it, he'll say in chapter 20, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I think if we were to talk to the Apostle John, John would say the idea of Jesus being the light of the world, that goes much deeper than a couple bullet points on a PowerPoint slide. Now, you need to remember that John wrote his gospel years after Jesus ascended back to heaven. Decades after Jesus went back to the Father, John writes his gospel. Some experts say it's as many as uh, 60 years later that John writes the Gospel of John. Some say it's more like 35. But the point is, John was around for a long time. He was watching the kingdom grow. He had a perspective on kingdom life. He had watched Satan try to stop the growth of the kingdom for a long time. And as I mentioned, he doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus. In just a minute, we're going to take a look at how he begins his gospel, but he doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus, which I find fascinating. I find it fascinating that John, of all people, doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus in his gospel. Because if you remember, John was there at the cross. 
And as Jesus hung on the cross, Jesus looked down and saw John standing by his mother, Mary. You remember what he told John? Take care of mom. Behold your mother. And he told Mary, consider John as your son. Now, we don't know how much time John and Mary actually spent together. History tells us they went and lived in Ephesus until Mary's death, but we can't know that for sure. But we do know that John accepted Jesus' challenge and did take Mary as his own mother and looked after her. And John would have had to have heard the story of Jesus' birth over and over and over again. I mean, if anyone had the opportunity to say, Okay, Mary, tell me again. Tell me everything one more time. What exactly did the angel Gabriel tell you when he came and talked to you? Tell me how it felt when you found out that you, as a virgin, were going to have the child that was going to be the Son of God. Don't leave out any details. Tell me everything, Mary. Well, John would have heard those stories so many times. He was the person who took care of Mary. If anybody was going to write about the birth of Jesus, it should have been the Gospel in John. But when John begins his Gospel, he doesn't start with shepherds. He doesn't start in a manger. And he doesn't start with Mary and Joseph fleeing to Egypt. He doesn't start with Jesus getting lost in the temple at age 12. He doesn't begin with the story of Jesus' birth at all. All those things that Mary undoubtedly told him so much about. Instead, he begins his gospel with what the birth of Jesus meant. He begins with what the significance of the birth of Jesus is. And John, writing as a much older man, would have understood that Jesus was born into some very dark days. You know, we like to think living in the 21st century, we sort of cornered the market on dark days and bad times, right? But that's not exactly true. So as John sits down to begin his gospel, before he even really gets to the narrative, before he really starts telling the story, before he starts rolling with where he's going, here's what he has to say. and It's so powerful. It's so powerful because John lived in complicated times. And we live in complicated times. Now, we're always reminded of who will come and, and who won't come. And we're reminded of what we're going to get and what we'll never get. But John starts his gospel this way. Verse 4. Eternal life is in Him. He's not talking about physical life. They had that. Eternal life is in Him. And John's trying to put this into words. He's had a lot of time to think about what he wants to say. And how he wants to say it. He has all this perspective on life in the kingdom. He's seen things come and he's seen things go. He's seen people live and die in Christ. He's seen people live and die apart from Jesus. And he wants to introduce us to Jesus at the very beginning of his gospel. Eternal life is in him. And this life gives light to all mankind. Now let's stop right there for just a second, because we pass over that verse, but that is a really powerful verse. This life gives light to all mankind. He starts talking about light right off the bat, and he also says, this is for everybody. You know, we're pretty far removed from this thing, but the consensus was, sort of the assumption was, when the Messiah shows up, he's going to be a Jewish Messiah. 
It's going to be kind of a regional thing. It's going to be a Jewish thing. They saw it as sort of a continuation or a completion of kind of an Old Testament thing. And John sits back as an old man and says, I'm telling you, Jesus didn't just come for a handful of people. He didn't just come for the Jews. He didn't just come for us. He came for all mankind. He offers light and life for all mankind. And of course, John would have heard Jesus say right before he left the earth, I want you to go into all the world. Go to all nations. Every nation, every people, every ethnicity, every language that's spoken, every language that is yet to be spoken. I want you to go make disciples. I want you to tell people about me. I want you to tell everybody about me. John would have heard that. This light isn't a Jewish light. This isn't a first century light. This is a light for all mankind. Then he says this, again, very beginning of his gospel. Eternal life is in him. This life gives light to all mankind. His life is the light that shines through the darkness. Again, John knew a thing or two about darkness. By the time he writes this, he has seen the church brutally persecuted. It's believed that John is the last of the remaining original twelve apostles. History tells us that all the others had been uh, um, met violent deaths. And as John writes this, he remembers everybody that was killed. Everybody who was taken away. In spite of everything he's seen, he says, his life is the light that shines through the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. You might have a, a translation that says the darkness cannot comprehend it. I think that's a better translation. The darkness can never extinguish it. As if the darkness is trying as hard as it can to put it out, to snuff it out, to get rid of it, to put it aside, to stop it, to understand it. As hard as the world is trying, as hard as our culture is trying, you know, the media, you know, tide of public opinion, to blow out that light, John says, the darkness can never extinguish the light. Again, remember, this is John. This is the guy who got word that his brother James had been killed. This is the guy who got word that his friend Peter had been executed. All those men, all those women who had given their life for the way. And with a smile on his face, John is able to begin his gospel by saying, in spite of everything they tried to do to eradicate the light of life, the darkness can never extinguish it. The darkness can never put it out. Caesar couldn't do it. Nero couldn't do it. The mighty Roman Empire couldn't do it. The Pharisees couldn't do it. The Greeks couldn't do it. The false teachers couldn't do it. And again, this is John speaking. John who stood at the foot of the cross. John who ran to the tomb and looked inside and nobody was there. John who had breakfast on the beach with Jesus. This is John who is absolutely convinced that there is nothing in this life there is no struggle that we can face. There is no heartache that is so deep, no pain that is so extreme, no depression that is so dark that that light can't shine through the darkness. There is a light. And no amount of darkness 
And no type of darkness can ever put it out. So when you think about just how difficult life is, and it is difficult, you will never hear me say it's not that bad. It's probably worse. Life is hard. We focus on problems that we can't solve. And we think about people that we can't control. And we focus on expectations that we'll never meet. We're reminded that in the middle of all that darkness, there is a light. And because of that, there is always hope. And there is a reason to believe. There's a reason that we pray to God and expect God to be listening. There's a reason that we can get up in the morning and put one foot in front of the other. Because the real Jesus, the real Jesus is willing to stand up and say, I am the bread of life. And I am the vine. And I am the gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good, good shepherd. And I am the light of the world. So the question becomes, what do we do with that? What do you do with the real Jesus? Not the Jesus that other people describe. Not the Jesus that our culture wants to talk about. Not even the Jesus that we want to come up with ourselves sometimes, you know, put him in whatever box that, that we think he might fit and take him out when we need him. Talking about the real Jesus. What do you do with the real Jesus? I want you to listen very carefully to Rob John. I'm not in it for the word play, word play. I just want to do what the word says. Be crucified. To be revived. That means by death you are made alive. And this is more than just a Bible. This is a means of travel. To a place once sought by ancient peoples as they were building Tower Babel. Men of architect who tried to build on mud and block. They missed the ark above the angels. Later they would call him the rock. And roll up to Jerusalem from Bethlehem. A son is born again. No fortunes, just a manger scene filled with hurts and pain. Gold and frankincense mixed in with a little bit of myrrh. Herod is on the hunt, but he cannot see. His eyes are blurred. You see, this message is of consequence because it messes with your confidence. The cross will bring cruciform to both the wealthy and the poor. So I'm leaving out of Egypt. May my feet below be swift. March into Mount Zion because this world just ain't legit. Cheap tricks, trickery speeches, expensive politics, rich man benefits, bubbly wine, white sandy beaches, 1080p, but it still glitches. This is the perfect imperfections that we build our lives upon. Mega churches, status races, like horse races we go round. You hear the Jesus trumpets. But we love the devil's sound. 
Love for me, hate for my neighbor. All these creatures play in creator. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell with people who are similar. So I dare not look to you for any direction. For my future, I'm not a scholar. I don't do Zen. I never stretch with yoga to be whole within. But I did bow to Christ the King. And in Him, I am everything. Well, I'm not talking syncretism or the theory that says in me abides the earth and elements of old with constellations hot and cold. You see, far from God, then I will fold. So in faith, I walk to hold my crown of life with my angel hands or whatever body he has foretold. Third John got remedies. The gospel paints the picture free from brushstrokes dipped in fallacies. No monkey origin for me. And no big bang brought my eyes to see. My heart to beat. Myself to beat. In the beginning, he says, come unto me. My spoken word made all that you see and that you don't see from here to eternity. So we ask, will the real Jesus please stand up? And he stood. Well, I'm just looking at myself and other Christians hoping that one day we would not just be. In it for the word play, word play. Just try to do what the word say. Asked Robbie a month or so ago, would you put something together for this sermon series? He said he would, and he did, and nobody says it like Robbie. I want to wrap up by saying this. I, I think this is kind of neat. It's encouraging to me at least. It took John. It took Peter. It took Philip. It took Andrew. It took all those guys three years to figure it out. For three years they kept waiting for Jesus to do something that He never planned to do. It took them three years to figure out this is about a man who has come from heaven to earth, the Son of God, to seek and to save the lost. For a long time, they had the wrong agenda for Jesus. And that's important for us because I think sometimes we have the wrong agenda for Jesus. There's so many things we want Jesus to do. And there's so many things that we want Jesus to be. And there's so many boxes that we want to put Jesus into. But John wants to make sure that we don't miss the why behind the what. The real Jesus didn't come to be some cultural phenomenon. He didn't come to overthrow Rome or, or any human power. He didn't come to just to heal people. He didn't come just to give us sound bites, some good teaching to live by. He came to be a Savior, a personal Savior. And I think if John were here this morning, he would say, is He your Savior? Is Jesus your Savior? Because He came for the world, but He also came for you. He came for me. And John would tell you, because He did, that He wrote what He wrote, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And it might, by believing, you might have life in His name. This morning, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? I hope you do, because that's why he came, to seek and to save all of us who were lost.
As a church family, if we can help you in any way, there'll be some people here at the front of the auditorium who would love to meet and help you and talk with you, pray with you, whatever we can do while we stand and, and sing the song that keeps 